What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Tuesday Talks. I'm Ryan Shepard. I'm hosting today with Darian Gillette. We're excited to have you here for another edition of Tuesday Talks. Uh, shout out to DJ Sofa for always getting us started with the vibes. Um, we've got a great conversation lined up for you today, so let's get right into it. The Care Atlanta Global Innovation Hub convenes people and organizations dedicated to defeating poverty by achieving social justice and equity everywhere. The Innovation Hub creates the space, programs, and support systems to connect leaders with global practitioners in hopes of solving the world's most pressing problems. Tuesday Talks is created to build bridges by exploring compelling topics. We hope that each week our participants leave with a deeper understanding of those topics and feel more clear about how they can contribute to solutions in their personal journey. At the Innovation Hub, we believe in the leadership of women, and we especially look to highlight expertise from Black, Indigenous, and communities of color. We're committed to centering and uplifting all justice-centered voices in our conversations and program. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about education, the future, and the use of technology. And the concept of traditional education has changed radically in recent years, with tremendous increases in access to the internet and new technologies, being physically present in a classroom isn't the only learning option anymore. Virtual learning has taken on a whole new meaning during the COVID pandemic. School closures have been common, uh, and in many cases, uh, folks are looking at this as a way to combat the complications of the pandemic. Yet there's cost and benefit to these choices. According to UNESCO, the COVID-19 pandemic impacted close to half of the world's students by partially or fully closing their schools. And over 100 million additional children will fall below minimum proficiency level in reading as a result of this public health crisis. So in today's conversation, we'll give space to a group of amazing and pioneering women who are leading the way in the future of education. So let me introduce you to our amazing speakers today. First, I want you to meet Flo Tejeda. Flo is a director of teacher support at One Goal New York. She is an impact-driven educator with 10 plus years of experience in curriculum development, culturally responsive teaching, and college access and success initiatives in the city of New York. Flo, welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Next, I want to introduce you to Jacqueline Turner. Jacqueline was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. She's dedicated her time and efforts to closing the college matriculation gaps in under-resourced communities since 2006. Jacqueline has worked hands-on with many students in LAUSD and charter schools across Los Angeles and believes in a holistic approach when thinking about preparing them for the next chapter in their lives beyond high school. Jacqueline, welcome. Good to see you. Thanks for being with us. Of course. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. Uh, and next, let me introduce you to my colleague, Rachel Harkin. Rachel was the Director of Education and Adolescent Empowerment for CARE USA's Program Strategy and Impact Team, where she manages a global portfolio of education and adolescence programs. Rachel brings over 15 years experience in expanding educational and economic opportunities for the world's most vulnerable groups. Rachel, good to see you. Thanks for being with us. All right, so we like to kick off Tuesday Talks by having our speakers. Now tell us a little bit about yourself. So tell us the communities that you call home and the communities that you're advocating for through your work. Let's hear first from Rachel, then Jacqueline, and then Flo. Hey, Rachel, are you able to hear us? While we wait for Rachel to get her connection settled, let's hear from Jacqueline and then over to Flo. Yes, of course. And if mine starts to mess up, I have a backup because um, my internet started to get sketchy as well. Um, so the place that I call home that I, um, that I serve is um, Black and Brown communities. Um, so Latinx um, and African-American communities. Um, I grew up myself in um, Los Angeles, California. So the, um, I work at Heart of Los Angeles, which um, is an, it's an after-school program that serves um, this community in downtown Los Angeles. So we're right here on Wilshire, right in the thick of things. Um, yeah, did I answer your question? 
Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and so just like a spoiler alert for the, the group, Jacqueline and I have known each other literally our entire lives. We grew up together. We grew up in church together. So it's kind of like a cool thing to like be in this conversation in the setting um, and for us to learn more and to have her share more with us. So Jacqueline, it's cool to see you. Yes. What about you, Flo? What communities do you call home? Who are you advocating for through your work? That's definitely super cool that you two know each other. Um, I, <laughs> I am a New Yorker. Uh, I, we serve the New York City area specifically at One Goal New York. However, we're a national organization. So we're all actually also, uh, we're in the Bay Area in Houston and Boston and Atlanta. Uh, and I might be missing. I might be missing one or two, Chicago, which is our, our founding hub, actually. And so we work in traditionally under-resourced communities, traditionally under-resourced schools, and, and we hope to, to contribute to changing the game and changing the landscape so that our students have access to resources uh, and can really define and identify what they want to do for themselves and for their future. And so for me, this is really personal uh, as an immigrant to, to the city of New York, as a, as a English as a second language speaker uh, and as a public school kid. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be here sharing our mission with you guys and talking to you all a little bit more about what it is that we do and how we're hoping to, to support, I think, all of our missions, right, uh, in this room, virtual room. <laughs> Exactly right. It's fitting that this is a virtual conversation. Um, it looks like we have Rachel back. So Rachel, if you're able to hear us and if, if, uh, communicate with us, tell us a little bit about the communities that you call home and who you're advocating for through your work. Yeah, thanks for that, Ryan. Yeah, I mean, I think here at CARE, we're working globally and in the U.S., and our team is really committed to making sure that all children have access to a quality education, but especially marginalized children and girls who are still disproportionately less likely to complete uh, secondary education and go on to higher levels of education. So those are really uh, the communities that we're advocating for. And unfortunately, in the pandemic, we saw those communities uh, disproportionately affected as well. And so that's what we've been focused on. Thanks. Perfect. So Rachel, let's actually just continue down that, um, that conversation line. So talk to us a little bit about how CARE has adapted its work in response to the pandemic and what have been some of the early kind of outcomes and results that, uh, that you've seen. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I think you set the stage well with some of the statistics that you started out with. Uh, we all know that last year, the pandemic closed schools around the world. At one point, we had you know, 1.2 billion children out of school, which is just remarkable, and 80% of them were in developing countries. Um, unfortunately, we're still in a place where many schools have had to close again, um, or if they're open again, they're operating on quite restricted schedules. You know, so without a physical school to go to, we've had to figure out how to keep children learning and also how to keep them safe and healthy, because uh, we all know that schools provide more than just a place for academic learning. We also know uh, that if we continue to keep children and parents engaged during this time, that it would be more likely that they would return to school once uh, they reopened. So here at CARE, uh, we were able to pivot quickly with governments to really support different modalities of remote education and assist teachers and parents in using them, including in several conflict settings where we've been working for years, like Afghanistan, Somalia, Timor-Leste, and Mali. Uh, so we focused on really having a variety of delivery modalities to meet students' varying needs. And this has included not only print materials, but digital and mobile-based materials, radio and TV materials. And interestingly, we found that in most places, printed materials continue to be the highest modality used. I think here in the US, we're used to the use of technology, but in many of the places where we work, uh, access to devices, internet, and electricity remains very limited. So print materials continue to be very important. Um, and we also found that the use of these materials remained the same over time. So once students and families got used to using and accessing information, they tended to stick with that resource. Uh, we also found, and I know that others here today will agree with this, that we had to support teachers, parents, caregivers, community members, um, as we found that students are more likely to engage in remote learning if they have this type of routine support, someone to go to that they could ask questions on homework, or even if they're just having a difficult day, we know that uh, internet school is not the most fun, so not having that support structure in place uh, makes it even more challenging. And then 
uh, now that schools are reopening, we're really helping students re-enroll quickly. So community enrollment campaigns have been really critical, as well as the use of care-supported mothers groups, school management committees, uh, village saving and loan associations, working with, through all of those groups to help send kids back to school safely. And now that you know kids are back to school, it's a lot of focus on targeted remedial education and making sure that that remedial education really meets the, the specific needs of children. Uh, unfortunately, we're seeing more children having to drop out of school. And so we're looking at how we can expand our accelerated education model, SOAR, which is a, a program that helps children catch up quickly and then transition back into formal education or start a business. Uh, and then, you know, lastly, it's all about making the education system stronger. We all had to pivot very quickly and it became apparent what the gaps were. So we want to make sure that we're creating a more resilient system. So I'll stop there and hear what other questions. Yeah, no, that, that is quite helpful context, especially when we think about the way that this thing is showing up and playing out on the global scale. Um, you, you hit on something that I think maybe really resonates with me and probably with a lot of other folks, and that's kind of the fatigue of, of living and working in a virtual environment. I get Zoom fatigue. I can only imagine um, what's happening to our young people and our students. Um, and it also makes me think of something, Flo, that I want to get your perspective on. So I studied education in grad school, and I remember reading a really powerful ethnography um, called Unequal Childhoods. And among the things that it kind of revealed was um, the challenges that young people and students have that are in many cases very specific to their context, whether that's around class, whether it's around um, geography, access to transportation, or access to high quality education. And so I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about the complexities in the US when we think about students who are accessing different types of schools, whether they're private, public, charter, home schools, and how does this uh, virtual learning environment begin to impact and show differences for students based on those variables? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, I, I think we're we're definitely uh, all kind of hitting the nail in the head around the fact that inequity really, um, really uh, just just came to the forefront of the conversation, even more than I than probably had in the past. And I think Rachel mentioned this, right? Uh, the pandemic really um, shed light on some of the inequities and, and some the lack of resources that exist in these different types of schools, right? Like we've all read the books. We, we all know that this is real, right? That, that, that our American education system uh, certainly is underserving a tremendous uh, po uh, you know, population. I work particularly with black and brown kids here in, the, in New York City. And so we know that their schools have been historically underserved and under-resourced. And so, um, you know, that traditionally our charter schools, our private schools have had uh, more resources to kind of play around with, right? And so when the pandemic hit, they were, we, we saw that they were quicker to pivot, quicker to, to get laptops, for example, in the hands of students or to kind of figure out what are the different ways in which we can help support students and teachers to get Wi-Fi in homes that perhaps didn't have Wi-Fi before. Uh, uh, and, and then again, there were uh, community programs and grassroots organizations who kind of did the same and tried to fill in those gaps for schools and, and folks that perhaps didn't have those resources prior to the pandemic, who uh, one example is, I know many organizations established an emergency fund, organizations who could do that, grassroots community-based organizations established different emergency funds to tackle some of these challenges that came up during the pandemic, like Wi-Fi, like access to, to a laptop or, or um, you know, some, some sort of device that students can use to access school, but you know, the reality is, and, and, and this is probably this, we all probably, I might be preaching to the choir here, but the reality is that there were so many challenges on the ground that both teachers and students were experiencing. We did see a lot of students who were uh, highly disengaged in school virtually. And sometimes it wasn't necessarily because they didn't have that laptop, right? It was probably because of something else that was going on in their personal lives. And, and we did get to hear 
a lot of narratives around students needing to leave school to get a job to help support their families because their their you know insert parent or guardian had lost their their job in the pandemic um, either either because it was in the food industry or any other in industry that that was extremely impacted during this time and so we we did see uh, inequity just continue to thrive in the pandemic and, and inequity continue to grow it. And I would argue that the gap between uh, that, that the learning gap that was happening before the pandemic has certainly just expanded, particularly in cities like New York, where, where as I mentioned before, folks with resources, schools with the right resources were able to pivot and maybe, and maybe, um, the learning gap might not have been as as wide, but you know, for the rest of us who are who are really focused on supporting under-resourced communities, that that inequity uh, was very real and very tangible, and and we really had to work extra hard to to try to combat some of those challenges. And so, I, I think it's very tangible the the how different types of schools tackled the different challenges during the pandemic. I hope I, I hope I answered your question, Ryan. Yeah, no, you did. That, that was spot on. And I think um, it, it highlights a lot of the challenges that, that we've heard from parents and from educators, uh, from guardians, community members about, you know, how truly complex it's been uh, for young people to get access and to, you know, have high quality learning experiences, especially if there are other challenges in the environment or in the household. And so Jacqueline, I wanna kind of extend that and get your perspective on something that goes then beyond the instruction world. And that's enrichment, that's after school programming, programming and all of the wraparound services that we historically have also looked to schools both informally and formally uh, to provide for, for young people and their families. How has that evolved in this new virtual environment? And what are some of the strategies that have been effective at getting students and families those additional resources? Um, yeah, so for us, because yes, we are after school programming, we do a lot of enrichment. Um, one thing that we did here at Ola was immediately we outsourced all of our laptops that we had here and were able to sort of get those into the homes of students. Um, and that was something that we were able to do within ourselves. Um, and the way that we sort of engaged our students, I will say that we actually saw quite a bit of a benefit because we were able to reach a lot more students um, because we are not you know, super, you know, educational, you know, we're not school. These are a lot of programming that students decide to come to. And so what we learned was that our enrichment programs, um, we were creating space of community in this virtual setting where students um, probably didn't have that. Um, and so we would have kids just, we would have like teen center office hours where students were just coming in after they've been on Zoom for hours all day and just sort of hanging out and talking about, you know, what happened or, you know, how the day was. And so, I mean, even personally, I seen my own nephew doing that. He's like 10 years old and he'd be like in the room, like, oh, I'm with my friends. I'm like, what do you mean you're with your friends? So I think that, um, Having that space and time for us is what we definitely, what I experienced um, with virtual learning um, in the space that I was in for that. Um, we also provide a, a, um, a, a lot of support for our alumni that graduate from OLA. So students who are here, they're here in high school, they're 12th grade, um, and we follow, we go through their whole college processes. Um, after that, then they graduate and go on to different colleges and we provide scholarships for them and ensure that they have all of the wraparound services as far as therapy, if they need it, um, scholarship funds, um, we give them care packages. Um, and so what we learned, we have over 200 students. What we learned is we were able to engage with a lot more of those students because a lot of them are all around the world and, you know, they can't necessarily always come here um, to sort of gain those those supports or even like workshops that we would have, um, networking events that we would do. Um, having it um, virtually really helped us with getting access to them. And so we have decided to sort of keep that virtual setting and learning, especially for our alumni who are in different places, um, in different colleges and being able to sort of um, 
have that have that engagement with them. Yeah, and so it, it sounds like there have been kind of these gems or these uh, things that have emerged that uh, we think are positive that we might be able to carry forward um, in this work. So, Rachel, I wonder if you could kind of look into your crystal ball and tell us what you think are some of those things. What are some kind of positive discoveries from this time that we think or hope might stick around in the education space going forward? Yeah. Um, crystal ball, man, I wish we all had that. Uh, but yes, I think, you know, I hope we'll continue to see a variety of learning options for children. We've come talked about one of the things that's come out of this is that there's more both virtual as well as other types of remote learning options. And that we just need to be flexible and really not make assumptions on kind of where, when, and how children best learn. So I hope that kind of as children are returning to school, we'll continue to do that and that we're providing lots of different ways um, whether it's through remote education or in-person um, to help children catch up and that they'll continue to be more specific to children's uh, both learning as well as psychological needs. You know, I think we're also hopefully seeing um, the value and just the incredible role that teachers and coaches and mentors and parents all play in providing the support network to children. Uh, as I mentioned, we find that uh, children that don't have this support system are far less uh, effective with remote education. So I hope that we'll continue to invest in that as part of the education sector. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we'll begin to see even more that it's not just about learning outcomes, but all the other things that children need. So an increased focus on improved mental health and psychosocial well-being is something that I hope sticks around. And also, I think a change that is sticking around is that we'll need to be constantly ready for more change, right? Uh, we're not necessarily out of uh, the possibility of schools being shut down again, particularly in many of the countries in which we work. And so we're going to have to continually be adapting. So we'll see what sticks around. But, but those are my thoughts, Ryan. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's perfect. And I think, uh, yeah, I, I do still feel like there's tremendous reason for optimism. And to your point, many lessons about just being prepared for um, the unknown and knowing that we have to be adaptable and flexible. And so Flo, I wanna get your perspective on maybe a different side of that coin and that's about teachers, educators, um, the adults and the people who, who have made careers and professions out of, out of this. Uh, one, I think parents all over the world have an even greater appreciation for educators today um, coming out of the pandemic, especially places that had prolonged periods of quarantine or distance learning. What are we thinking and doing for teachers particularly, uh, but for other folks who are working in the education space to ensure that they get the support they need uh, and that they're able to be successful in either hybrid environments or the unknown that we uh, constantly see in the space? Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I hope that the world does appreciate teachers a lot more than before. Uh, because we certainly got to see how how tough of a job it is uh, to show up and to be there for students in in ways that often parents can't right because often teachers are the first line of defense and the first person who students talk to. Um, I am also really optimistic about about this change and about this future, um, and I think support wise, um, I think I think there are a couple of things. I think. Uh, I think Rachel mentioned this word flexibility, and I think uh, education organizations such as ours, uh, and I hope the Department of Education, the different Department of Education across our, our country will also lean into this, this aspect of flexibility and think about different ways to, to make the work more sustainable. I think there's a lot of conversation about what that what that could look like, what the what a future of education could look like that enables people to feel uh, like they have the mental space and the capacity to thrive within their work, uh, uh, but but not just uh, professionally uh, in the definition of the role, but actually like social emotionally, right? Because a lot of what teachers have had to do during the pandemic is is be social workers, right? In in ways that they might not have been trained to do. And I think a lot of us education professionals have had to do the same, right? And so we've something we've, we've talked a lot about 
now at, at one goal has been this idea of giving people grace and what it means to, to give the people that we work with grace who, who might be on a struggle bus that we have no idea of. Uh, and what does it look like to give ourselves grace? Uh, because you you write uh, the cliche term that you can't you can uh, you can't serve others on a full cup right and so on an empty cup if you will and so how do I replenish myself how do I make sure that I am not fatigued so that I'm able to be my best self when I'm when I'm helping and supporting other people right because I want to be my best self when I'm supporting the communities that we support every single day and so that's that that aspect of support I don't think it's talked about enough and and it's something that's really top of mind for us here. How do we help teachers? How do we maybe not talk about curriculum this week and just really be uh, and just really be somebody who sits there and listens, right? Because uh, systemically, teachers are not always provided with that space on the ground. And I think another piece that we've been thinking a lot about is what celebration looks like. Uh, what does it look like to celebrate our people? What does it look like to be in joy uh, for, for the United States? It, it, it's been a really, I mean, for, for the entire world, it's been a really tough two years, particularly in the U.S. We've been coping with a lot of national issues, uh, not just around the pandemic, but also around uh, some of the systemic uh, systems, systemic systems that exist in, in our country that enable, that, that keep maintaining and sustaining systems of inequity and so so we've we've been coping and dealing with a lot of stress and our and our students our teachers have been coping and dealing with a lot of stress and often as we know classrooms are often spaces where students bring that and and should have the space and the ability to be able to communicate how they feel. And, and that's okay, let's make room for that, right? Like, let's make space for that in our classrooms. And so I think support systems, uh, we can probably talk about this for, for a whole nother hour because I think it there's layers to this conversation around the different support systems that, that hopefully will remain, uh, particularly around this flexibility piece. I think it, it really is the part that's rooting us and grounding us. And I think all of it relates to, to just really embodying a, a liberatory consciousness and, and really thinking about how do, how do we become more aware and better aware and what can we do uh, as a result of that awareness in order to ensure that our classrooms are places where students, teachers and educators and community-based organizations can actually thrive. Yes, amen to all of that. Um, I, I do have a, a soft spot in my heart for teachers. I, I was a teacher for a while, I worked in education. Uh, for many years, and it is a really complicated role And teachers and educators generally, um, they do far more than teach one plus one. Um, there's so much that goes into it. You mentioned kind of the social, social, social emotional coaching and support and being all things to so many different um, people that they're charged with. I do really do hope that uh, educators are continue, continue to be celebrated and appreciated for all the many things uh, that they bring to our communities and to our students. Um, so Jacqueline, I wanna get your perspective on the future of hybrid education. So the last time that I was a full-time student, which was like 10 years ago, uh, there was very rigorous debate um, at my school about um, the nature of kind of hybrid learning, if people needed to be in person or if it was okay to watch the lectures from your computer and all of these like complicated questions. Um, and I know at that time, MIT was also standing up essentially an open source learning environment where they were posting the majority of their um, lectures online and you could go listen, learn for free from wherever you could be connected to a device. Now it seems like the world is to a place where hybrid education is no longer optional, but it's just a question about how it might show up. So what are your thoughts about the future of hybrid education? And what are some things that you're excited about when you think about uh, the, the, think about that going forward? Um, well, I will say when it, when it comes to, for instance, our college students who are in college and they're depending on this hybrid learning or this virtual learning, especially our college, yeah, our college students specifically, I feel like they do have a, um, they do struggle a bit in those, in those courses. Um, I think that it is definitely um, beneficial for certain classes to be in person and, and have that, that, that in-person sort of community with, with the teacher and the student. Um, 
looks like we may have lost Jacqueline there um, connection-wise. While we're maybe waiting for her to, to chime back in, uh, Rachel, Flo, any perspectives that you all might offer about hybrid education and what you're excited about or you know, what we might be concerned about going forward? I think from my perspective, um, you know, from the research that we've seen, I'm excited that it's it's going to continue to be an option, that we'll continue to have uh, hybrid approaches. But I think I'm a little concerned that we're going to move too much in the direction of assuming that hybrid and possibly all digital and remote education will work for all children in all communities. And we have to remember, especially in many of the places where care partners and works, that we don't have that type of access to that type of infrastructure and there's not the support processes in place. So I would just say, let's let's not get rid of in-person uh, and print materials quite yet, but continue to make room for both and really evaluate what's working best. Absolutely. And it looks like we have uh, Jacqueline back on the line. Uh, Jacqueline, I want to give you a chance to, to finish your response. Link. Yeah, and I, I, I heard a little bit what Rachel said, and I, and I do agree with that as far as let's not try to get rid of in-person. There's a lot of benefits that, that plays into that. Um, I do believe, like I said earlier, there are other ways to, to engage students um, hybrid learning. Um, for instance, even with our college students, we have our mentoring program that we have with them, and we're able to connect our mentors with our students virtually, and otherwise we wouldn't be able to do that. So I think that it helps with this enrichment additional um, services that we can provide for them, but I don't think it will ever take place of that that in person that students do need, um, especially when it comes to learning and being, you know, inside of a classroom. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree. I think I think that's even something that we have learned and experienced professionally that there's just no replacement for being in the same room and space as your colleagues or being able to kind of have that time together. And I certainly think that that's true for students of, of all ages and in all settings. Flo, let's hear from you quickly. Do you have a perspective uh, on that, the future of hybrid education, where you feel excited, where you feel concerned? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with both Rachel and Jacqueline here. I think that um, that options are always a good thing in, in life, right? And and parents should always have have choices and, and should always be able to to think about and assess what might be the best option for their students. I think students deserve that. And certainly I share the access concern here as well. Uh, I, I think we should pause and, and ask the right questions around uh, student engagement is something that we thought a lot about this year. What percentage of students are actually engaging with the curriculum? And, and, and there was a lot there that was lost, right? I think we should, uh, to Jacqueline's point, we should really, uh, as education organizations, really think about what are we losing when we are limiting uh, education, whatever it is that we're trying to educate on, what are we losing when we limit that to a computer screen? What are we, what, how are we still figuring out uh, ways to build community with students? Because ultimately, I mean, I think community is everything. And so ultimately, if we are not able to build community effectively in ways that make the world a more loving and equitable place, and we should really kind of think about uh, you know, we, we adopted a model of blended learning at my organization that we are keeping actually moving forward. We adopted that through the pandemic and are keeping it uh, permanently moving forward. And, and that's the question that we've been asking ourselves every single day. How are we supporting teachers and students to build communities in person in the classroom so that we are not taking away from, you know, our, we are implementing this asset-based mindset, right? We're not taking away from what the teacher and the school community and the community at large is bringing to that student's lives because they can't get that on a computer screen, right? There are not enough videos that they can watch that will really help them absorb the meaning of, of community and resource building. And Jacqueline talked about students in college, right? Like it's so important when you're going to college to feel like you have that, you know, that crew kind of backing you up that you can fall back on if something goes wrong or if you experience any challenges and need additional support. So I, I certainly believe that, that we should have options and that parents and students deserve options, but I certainly see the future of education uh, moving in the direction of a more blended learning world. 
Yes, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, but Darren, I want to pass it over to you for audience Q&A. And folks, if you have questions, you can drop them directly in the chat or you can send them to Darren and we'll try to incorporate them. Thanks, Ryan. So I want to kind of keep going on this conversation around the hybrid learning. So um, we at CARE have done uh, an experience before, a racial justice experience, and we're looking to do it again when we bring students to Atlanta to go through some workshops around race and equity, and then actually take them on visits to museums that also um, support that same mission around, around race and equity. Um, Want to get you all's thoughts on how this might look in the future. We're currently trying to figure it out, figure out how to still instill these important aspects to kind of the classroom, but in a field trip type of manner. So I wanna get you all's perspective. Have you all seen schools or communities incorporating some type of field trip in this virtual setting? And how has it looked? So I wanna maybe say Jacqueline, we'll pass it to Jacqueline first and then Flo and then Rachel. Yeah, definitely. So um, having, you know, doing doing things like that with students is, is extremely important. And so we definitely um, try to engage our students in those like field trips. A lot, a lot of things that we do um, are college presentations. So we'll have college advisors or um, at, you know, um, representatives from different colleges come and speak to our students. Um, and they provide like virtual campus tours um, that we that we provide that we give to our students. Um, there are a lot of also um, things that you can do at museums. Some museums do have virtual tours that you can sort of connect students with. Um, and we found that students, they, you know, they, they there, there are some that you can actually engage in and do like different activities in. So there, there are resources and options for students to do that. And I do believe that they enjoy it. And I, and I believe that they need it. Um, it's, it's really important for them to not just be in front of a Zoom call all day listening to someone lecture. Um, they need to have that opportunity to sort of um, engage in other ways. And so now that, you know, some students are back in school, I'm not too sure how that would, how that would look if, you know, museums are now open, they can actually go in person now. But definitely when they were not open, it was something very important that we took advantage of. Thanks for that, Jacqueline. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think some of my favorite times in grade school were field trips, right? It's just so important to get out of the classroom sometimes. It makes whatever you're learning about in that particular week that much more important, right? When you can see it in action somewhere. Um, Flo, what about you? What are your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I would completely agree. Those experiences are, are life-changing. And I myself have some really treasured memories of visiting museums or even going to a Broadway show here in New York City, right, as part of like a classroom immersion experience and then using that for social capital in college. So I completely agree that experiences in real life are, are really, really important. And we saw a few video, I, I mean, I saw a fun video of a teacher uh, try this in the pandemic and who it, I think it was like a third grade, grade classroom and he brought his laptop to to the zoo and like showed kids the the actual animals and asked them questions and it was like really fun check for understandings uh so really really cool fun ways of doing it virtually um but i would argue uh as you mentioned that it, i think we should think about what are safe ways to do this in person again. And, and potentially some, some things that I've heard some teachers doing here in New York City is like perhaps how, figuring out how to get students tickets because now everything has to be like a time ticket at least, in, at least in New York City, but really supporting students through that process of like, how do you get a time ticket? Let's, let me give you the link. Let's maybe do it together. Maybe this is the last five minutes of class where we're like looking at the, at the, at the museum website together and walking through how to actually get a time ticket for the museum. And then you get your own time ticket and you kind of go on your own. I mean, New York City students are, are extremely, um, uh, resilient and like explorers because of the city that we live in. We're so lucky to have a really awesome, awesome, probably 
uh, not everybody would use the word awesome for a transportation system now that I think about it, but I would argue we have a pretty good transportation system that takes you everywhere. And so students can quickly and easily kind of jump on the train and go to a museum or to a zoo or to like even a cultural experience in the city, uh, which we have many of those always happening. And so I would argue like, let's be like those teachers who are kind of thinking creatively and challenging themselves to figure out what are the best ways that students can experience this lesson or can experience the curriculum within the boundaries and limitations of this sort of new world. And Rachel, would love to bring you back in and maybe share some perspective on a global scale, especially in countries that we're seeing are not to the point of the US and the reopening phase. Yeah, I uh, definitely agree with what's been said about trying to restart those you know, in-person physical activities. But I think in the meantime, there's a lot we can take advantage of with virtual platforms for field trips. You know, we're seeing a lot of girls in the places that we work. Um, I'm thinking of Somalia and Afghanistan through platforms like our girl empowerment forums and leadership clubs where they're really able to do kind of virtual tours, one-on-ones uh, with other female entrepreneurs and other females and jobs they might be interested in. And now with kind of this virtual platform, whether we're using Facebook or WhatsApp or Zoom, it's not limited to someone that's in their community. They can you know, talk to someone that might be in their country's capital or someone in another country. And I think that's really opening up their eyes to, to what's out there and, and what they might be interested in. So I think we should uh, continue to kind of do things like that because we are seeing uh, that girls feel more uh, inspired and connected when they have opportunities to things like that. I love that, that's amazing. Um, so another question that kind of came up and it ties actually very nicely into our conversation next week. So next Tuesday, we're having a conversation around mental health and wellness. And Flo, I know you mentioned earlier um, some things about support systems, right, being looked at a little differently in this virtual world. So would love you all's thoughts on how teachers are still providing students with a safe space to have conversations about things happening at home or with their friends or just in general, um, virtually. I remember being back in school and going to my high school counselor was like, the thing I had to do every Friday, right? To just relieve a lot of stress and things that had built up over the week. And in this virtual setting, it seems almost impossible, right? Or just in a, in a different type of space. So would love your thoughts, Flo. Gonna give this back over to you first and then maybe hear from Jacqueline and Rachel. Love those moments. Uh, as a former teacher myself, I think those were some of the best times, right? When students just came to your classroom at, at the end of the school day or at the end of the week and you're just kicking it, kicking it and just like, just chilling, right? Just like talking about life stuff. And those are the moments that are gold, right? Where you're really building community and getting to know your kids. And really, as I used to say, putting money in the bank so you can withdraw it later with their parents or when they don't do their homework. Um, so, so thank you for sharing that. That really warms my heart. Um, I think it's been really difficult, you know, and, and I don't want my optimism to, to, uh, shadow how difficult things have been for teachers at, at here, particularly in the city of New York. I mean, I think across the, the globe, right. But, uh, creating spaces like that has been extremely challenging, especially when teachers are human beings too, right? And they're experiencing the pandemic as well, right? They're, they're just people like us who, who also go back home to, to grapple with the fear and, and, and the complexities of, of what it means to work on behalf of a community while also experiencing a lot of those challenges that 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 we're all experiencing together right in in so many ways and so i think i've seen teachers think through and execute in really creative ways. Something that I think has worked really effectively has been one-on-one -on -one check-ins. And so that's something that we actually, we, we uh, change our entire curriculum in the, in the last two years. And that's something that we actually made part of the curriculum. So we are basically like instructing teachers and encouraging them and coaching them to uh, to to set up one-on-one -on -one meetings with their students and to do that in a particular cadence that feels right to them in their classroom and to really identify ways in which those one-on-one -on -one meetings could 
just be could, could be about more than just what's going on in class. What are your post-secondary options? What are you thinking about? You know, like we really want them to be about what's happening in the world, what's happening in the students' lives and how the question we're always asking is, and we're encouraging teachers to always ask is how can I support you better? Uh, what can I do as your teacher to, to support you better? through whatever it is that you may be going through, because whatever that answer is, is going to reflect back on whatever is happening in that particular subject anyways. If we're supporting students social emotionally, if we're giving them that space that you were talking about, that you mentioned, like the space to just vent sometimes, to just talk, to kick it, uh, then we're creating joy. And joy really enables students to reinvest in, in whatever that classroom is or, or whatever whatever is going on in that particular room. And so we're hoping to see more of that happening, right? Sometimes that space is virtually, that one-on-one check-in has to be virtually. But I think to go back to that word flexibility, we've really seen it happen in so many different ways. Sometimes it's a phone call, but that one-on-one check-in, that physical space that you talked about, that could be a text message. You know, that could be, that could be a teacher who just kind of meets you on the block six feet apart and says, it's so good to see you in person because I just happen to live in the neighborhood and I just wanted to show up for you. You know, that can be a Zoom meeting, uh, but it also can easily be FaceTime, which we've seen a lot because students are on their phones all the time. So it could be a quick FaceTime call just to be like, I'm here, are you okay? And so I, I hope, and I, and I do believe that those spaces will continue. Thanks for that flow. Um, Jack, I want to pull you back in here as well. Maybe just talk about how we see this showing up in after school programs. Yes. So um, like um, like Flo said, we also um, take advantage of our one on one check ins. And so I have my team doing one on one check ins with all of our students um, to sort of check in on them and how they're doing, you know, socially and how they're acclimating to especially our college students, how they acclimating to school. Um, a lot of our high school students that are going back into into in person, how they acclimating to that. And so we do utilize that same um, that same sort of concept of our one-on-one -on -one check ins what we also have here at Ola is we have an entire counseling department. So we have um, we have um, psychologists here that work with our students one on one. So if we have a one on one check in and we see that a student is really struggling, whether um, you know they're having a really tough time in school or they're having a tough time with family, uh, we refer them over to our psychologist and they're really responsive. They'll start meeting with students um, as soon as like the week after. So we ensure that they have sort of that space um, to sort of build the community with us with the one-on-one -on -one check ins but if they really do need those additional services the additional sort of mental health um, professionals that we obviously cannot provide them that's available for them and they do that over zoom and now we're starting to implement an hybrid um, sort of way of doing it so students are going to be able to start coming in person starting next month so those are some ways that we are that we are sort of tackling that um, and also giving students um, sort of mental health, you know, um, strategies that they can use on their own. Um, you know, we, we really encourage students to do things that will help them um, not sit in computer all day, right? So we tell them go running if you need to go writing. Um, we've given out like little art boxes for students and little coloring books, you know, like little things that that really helps you to just sort of take your mind off of things, um, everyday life. So we encourage that with our students and we let them know that, you know, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to just relax. It's okay to just go out for a walk. And so those are some things that we talk about during our one-on-one -on -one check-ins and, 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 and things that we sort of um, um, advise them to do. So I hope I answered the question. Yes. You did, I love it. As a person who loves coloring books, I, I think that's amazing. <laughs> Um, Rachel, want to get uh, your thoughts right here as well, too, before I pass it to Ryan for our last question. Yeah, I'm just reiterate. I mean, I think the, you know, digital support that we can do in one-on-one check-ins through teachers, uh, coaches, facilitators, as well as through, 
peer-to-peer -peer support. You know, we've seen a lot of benefit of our girl empowerment forums and kind of other leadership club clubs coming together just to support one another. And we've seen as a result of that uh, decreased anxiety and depression, which obviously result in better outcomes for learning and retention as well. I would also just say that, you know, it takes a village. And I think to Flo's point about teachers, now is the time for all of us who are not teachers, but are community members to also step up and, and support children in ways that we can. So opportunities to, to volunteer, um, whether it be, you know, supporting our teachers or our children. So all of us just getting more involved. We, you know, we've seen that in a lot of the countries that we work is that community members are stepping forward and making sure that children have support in different ways. So let's continue to do that. Thank you for that, Rachel. I think community is very important. So thank you so much for highlighting that. Um, Ryan, I'm going to pass it back over to you for our last question. Perfect. Um, and thank you for those fantastic questions, uh, for questions from the audience. Uh, so we are unfortunately at the end of our time, but we always like to end by asking our speakers to share with us one thing that's bringing you joy these days or something you're doing to create joy in your work. So let's hear from Flo, Rachel, and we'll get our last word today from Jacqueline. Such a good question. Uh, I think just honestly watching New York City bounce back is really bringing me a lot of joy uh, these days. Just like watching people try in the safest ways possible to just keep on keeping on, you know? And, and uh, I get the privilege to work in multiple neighborhoods in the city and kind of travel through different neighborhoods. And so just watching people in different ways, step up to the plate, still protecting each other, still being conscious that the, of the fact that we're still in a pandemic, you know? And while at the same time, just trying to thrive and serve one another and smile, like just that simple, simple act of just smiling to each other on the street, which New Yorkers are not known for, right? Because technically we're known to be kind of rude, but I promise you there's a lot of smiling happening in New York City and that's really bringing me a lot of joy. Thank you so much for asking. I think for me, Ryan, you know, it's it's the resiliency that we've seen among girls around the world, their parents, teachers, community members, that despite kind of everything that we're seeing um, and, and the statistics, they're still learning at home and they're doing everything they can to continue learning um, and holding on to their education and are excited to be returning to school or doing a hybrid, whatever's necessary to keep learning. So that's really what's bringing me joy to continue to see that resiliency. Um, I think for me, what's bringing me joy is the support that we see across our programming. So we um, thrive on 100% private funding. So our funders are very um, in-person, hands-on, and they have really shown up for us during this time to sustain a lot of our programming. So that support that we have with them, um, they don't only, you know, fund us, but they also put in their time. Um, there, um, a lot of our funders are our mentors to our students, which is amazing. And now we're, I'm trying to get an internship pipeline where they can sort of offer jobs to our students, and they have been super receptive to that. So that's bringing me a lot of joy. And aside from my that, my everyday joy is my tea. I like to drink every day. So caffeine is joy in life. So yeah. <laughs> I love it. That's like the perfect note to end on. Support and a little bit of caffeine goes a long way. Uh, so with that said, uh, folks who are able, turn your camera on, turn your microphone on, join me in giving a round of applause and appreciation to our amazing speakers today. Thank y'all for being with us. And shout out to Fatih, one of my favorite colleagues. I see Fatih's on the line today. Uh, Fatih always looks out for me uh, whenever we're in the same city, anywhere in the world. So it's good to see you on here today, Fatih. Um, with that said, DJ Sofa, take us out with another set. We'll leave the chat open for a few more minutes. Thank you everyone for being with us. It's good to see y'all this